I don't know about you, but I always enjoy a story with a great plot twist in the middle of it. And one of the most interesting plot twists are those betrayals that you never see coming. And in this episode, I want to talk about how the very science that people use to justify abortion is actually betraying them. Hey everybody, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this episode and next week's episode, you might be tempted to call shenanigans on that intro line of mine because we're not actually going to be talking about the Bible. However, uh, if you've been around here long enough, you understand that when I think of thinking biblically, it's not just applying Bible verses to things in life, but instead thinking with a worldview that comes from a mind that is fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. And a mind like that is a mind that is going to love truth, regardless of what that truth is. And so while in this episode and the next one, we're not going to be necessarily busting out Bible verses to prove a point, I do want to all of us to realize that we're going to be starting from a foundation of we want to understand truth because we know that God is truth and God has created truth. And so even if we aren't going to open a Bible, we will still be applying a biblical worldview to our discussion. And that discussion obviously is going to be about abortion. Now, there's just a couple of things that I want to lay down before we really get into today's discussion about science and how science actually proves that abortion is evil. But before we get there, I want to just say two things. Uh, first is, obviously, I want to approach this discussion carefully. I know that abortion is a very painful subject. Whether someone has experienced some form of an abortion or not, it is something that people get very heated and very passionate about. And even if someone has never had an abortion or had a, you know, a wife or a girlfriend get an abortion, it's still a painful subject because of of what we're dealing with. You know, as Christians, we understand that abortion is ending a human life. And so I'm going to try to find a good balance of treading lightly, but also saying what needs to be said and calling abortion what it is. But just please understand that whatever I say, I I want to approach it gently and carefully. And all of us, as we are thinking about it, want to make sure that we're not using abortion as just a way to feel superior to others, a way to make others feel bad, but instead realizing that abortion is like any sin. It is something that people are blinded by and even trapped in. And we need to bring Jesus Christ into that situation. Now, second thing I want to talk about is why over the next two episodes, I won't be opening the Bible. Um, the plan is, in this episode, we're going to talk about science. The next episode, we're going to talk about logic. And then in the third episode is where we will actually integrate God and his word into the discussion. Now, the reason I do that and why I'm not starting with Bible verses is that, as I said, we worship a God of truth. God has set out all truth. He has laid out science to work as it does. He's also laid out things like logic and consistency and for the world and the universe and human beings and society to function according to a consistent and logical belief system. So I want to attack those first and give us a good foundation for just understanding these things outside of just the Bible so that in that third episode, when we get to the Bible, we're going to have all of this laid out and see why God truly does view abortion as the ending of a full and complete human life. Now, one thing we need to understand about abortion and what 
people need in order for abortion to be more palatable or easier to digest is that we don't want to view the thing being aborted as a full human. Now, if you talk to people who support abortion, many of them will say, well, yes, it's human, but, and they'll have some kind of qualifier, some kind of way to say that it's not fully ending a complete and whole human being. They will often acknowledge that, yes, this is a human being. That's not something that necessarily needs to be proven to them, but there will be some way for them to think about this unborn fetus as something that is distant or less than human or whatever it is that it, that they need in order to be more okay with abortion. Now, whether it's because they truly believe in what abortion says, or it's just because that's part of the worldview that they need to be a part of, and they need to kind of go with the flow, as it were. Uh, you know, In order for abortion to be okay for a functioning society, we have to remove the humanity, whether completely or whether partially. We have to remove the humanity from this unborn human being in order for the termination of it to not quite be absolute and total murder like we might think of, say, murdering a healthy 18-year-old person. Now, this is done through dehumanizing them, which is to literally just remove some or all of their humanity. Now, as Christians, this makes sense to us because we understand inherently that we were made in God's image. We know that there is an inherent value to human life. Even if someone isn't a Christian, even if someone is evil, we understand that to a certain degree, everyone has some kind of value because everyone, even the worst person in the world, everyone is made in God's image. Now, whether they are living up to that creation of being in his image is a totally different discussion, but we do know that human beings have innate value separate from the the value or the worth that they bring to society we know that because they are human they have rights they have a value to them and so in order to justify destroying something like that even people who don't love god even people who don't know about god there is a mental requirement in us to see that when we are destroying a human being, in order for us to be more okay with it, we have to see that we may be destroying something that is human-like, but it's not fully human. It's not as valuable. There is a lesser value, a lesser rank, a lesser class to that, that creature that we are destroying. Now, we see this throughout all of history. Uh, within just wars in general, you aren't killing a, an actual person. You are killing the enemy. You are attaching a label to them that removes the humanity from them. Uh, there's actually this thing in war where, you know, people can be trained well to fight, but when they actually get to it and they are seeing the humanity and that they are ending a human life across the battlefield from them, their accuracy will actually really struggle and they will be less accurate and less lethal with their weapons because there is this inherent hesitation of killing someone if we assign a full human status to them. And so part of what we need to do is we need to find an enemy and apply this label to them of enemy, of foe, of villain, so that we don't see them as fully human, so that we are more okay with killing them. There's also stories of old firing squads where in order for someone to be okay with killing a traitor, you know, someone who, you know, how dare they? I mean, they're, they're evil. They're the worst. In order for people to be okay with it, they would hand out 
guns to, to several men in the firing squad, but only one of them would be loaded and the rest would have blanks. That way, not everyone would be responsible for killing them and nobody would know who actually ended their life. So there's a comfort that they didn't kill this full human being regardless of how they viewed them. And so we just see that even in the most dire of circumstances where people are are being trained and they're being paid and their their job, their life is wrapped up in killing the enemy, there is a struggle that even someone in that situation will face. Uh, we even see this throughout you know bigger swaths of history. You think of the very easy and classic discussion of the Jews being killed in the Holocaust. People weren't just you know going out and saying, "Hey, I hate these people who were from this nationality." No, if you look at the propaganda that Hitler and and the German government was putting out there, a lot of it was dehumanizing the Jews. It was making them look like rats. It was painting them as this enemy and blaming them for for all these troubles and things like that. And it was only when an entire group of people saw them as less than human that they were more okay with them disappearing and being taken to these concentration camps. Uh, we see it in Rwanda as well. You have the Hutus, which was uh, an African tribe, and they had to view another tribe called the Tutsis as subhuman before they could try wiping them out. And so you see this with, I mean, really any kind of rivalry that you see, whether it's families, whether it's whole countries, you know, you have these rivalries and you have to, like I said, with soldiers, you have to paint someone not as another person I don't agree with, but as something other. You have to apply a label to them that makes them not human, but something that you hate. Um, the Cambodian government, uh, if you look at the mass genocide that happened there, they had to label an entire swath of their population as something less human and therefore having lower or no human rights so that they could, as a whole government, wipe out 25% of their entire population. They didn't do that because they randomly grabbed people, but they had to to create some propaganda and start labeling and attaching subhuman categories to people so that it was more palatable, it was more acceptable for the soldiers to murder them. And so this whole logic in this whole history of dehumanization is a very important thing to lay out for us because whenever we're thinking about is this unborn thing human if it is if we recognize it as fully human then how can we possibly kill it how can we be okay with it but if we can apply some colder terms to it if we say oh it's not a baby it's a fetus well that's a colder term that's detached it's a it's a medical term it's a scientific term and so we use things like that to justify saying well they're there's, they're a different category of human. They're not a human being, they're a fetus. Yes, there might be some humanness to them, but they're less, they're below us. And therefore, even if we don't like it, even if it's unsavory, we can be more okay killing them than we would, say, a one-year-old. But like I said at the start of the episode, the, the humorous thing or the irony is that while people try to use science to justify it by saying, oh, they're just a clump of cells, they're just a fetus, they're less developed, and things like that, scientific law actually proves that the unborn are 100% fully human. Now, this is an important distinction to make because there's a difference between what scientists say and what science reveals to us. And I think we've discussed that in the past, that science is a good thing. Science isn't the enemy. It's not something we should fear because science, left on its own, what it ultimately does is it observes facts, 
about what's happening. It says, hey, you know, I mix these two mixtures together and here's the reaction I saw. Uh, you know, I get out a microscope and I zoom in and here are the things that I'm seeing. So science is ultimately just an observation. However, the problem we run into is when scientists take those observations and they try to interpret it. They try to put a spin on it and they try to tell us why a thing is happening or they try to tell us how to view something. So while scientists may try to make the argument that, oh, the unborn are just fetuses, clumps of tissue, not quite fully human because of how they look or what they can experience or how developed they are. Scientific law, which is something that just exists, it's something that God has designed, scientific law actually completely contradicts how we want to, to think about the unborn. Now, this law is called the law of biogenesis. Now, super nerdy term, I know, and if you hated science class, I'm sorry. But to sum it up very basically, the law of biogenesis says that complex living organisms can only come from complex living organisms of its own kind. So what does that mean? That means that squirrels can only come from squirrels. Dolphins can only come from dolphins. A elephant doesn't grow from an oak tree, and a dog is not going to give birth to a frog. All complex living creatures were designed, as we see in Genesis, to reproduce after their own kind. So an oak tree is going to make an oak tree. A whale is going to make a whale. A dog is going to make a dog. And this is critical, because what this means is that if God designed all creatures to reproduce exact versions of themselves, then when we think about a fetus, we aren't thinking about something that is less than human or has the potential to be human. According to the law of biogenesis, which is ultimately according to how God has designed his universe to function, when a sperm meets an egg, they create a complex living organism. And, and the more we understand science, the more we see that that is what happens, that at the moment of conception, that thing becomes a living organism within within a mother's womb. Now, within that organism, it's going to have everything it needs within its DNA in order to develop more complex features. Now, at the moment of conception, obviously, it doesn't look like much. It does look, indeed, like a little bitty blob of cells. And how do we call that thing human? Well, ultimately, it doesn't matter what we view it as. It doesn't matter how it looks to us or how we feel about it. Scientific law, the, the laws that God has designed for the universe to operate by dictates and demands that when a, a male human and a female human create a living organism, the law of biogenesis demands that it is nothing less than a 100% full human being. And that's important because we often think that a an unborn child up to a certain time, and for a lot of people that's 22 weeks of of being conceived. But a lot of people will see the unborn or a fetus as having the potential to be a human being, or it can grow up and develop into becoming a full human. But right now it is either not human at all or not human enough. But the reality is that, like I said, the more we understand science, the more we have even more proof that what is happening in the womb is something that is fully human, that is just growing to look more like a fully functioning human being. But it is no less human just because certain aspects of it haven't yet developed. Because 
an embryo doesn't need something more added to it in order to fill in a gap. In other words, a, an embryo isn't just a building block where more things need to come in to make it turn into a human being. It already has the full potential. It has everything it needs to be a human. It just needs time and you know things like nutrition, just like any human being. That's all it needs in order for everything it has inside of it to develop and grow and to become a more complex and intricate creature. But again, at the end of the day, when we really boil it down, an embryo, the moment of conception, right, from, from the very first second that it exists as a complex organism, it is fully human based on how God has designed his universe and based on how science has proven and agrees with that reality. So what does the law of biogenesis mean for us as Christians? And especially, what does it mean for how we view the unborn then? Because... One of the common phrases within the pro-life argument is that life begins at conception. And that's something that we often say, but do we really know what that means? And understanding this, yes, we know what it means. It means that life, literally the beginning of a new human being, begins at the conception of the sperm and the egg. And so regardless of what it looks like, regardless of the labels that we attach to it, an embryo, a fetus, is fully human being. And that has very far-reaching consequences and implications, both as we argue against abortion and what our responsibilities are as supporters of all human life. Now, just three of those things. Uh, first is that if life begins at conception, then there is no such thing as an ideal window for abortion. So a lot of people want to add qualifiers saying, oh, well, it doesn't look quite human or it can't feel pain or it hasn't developed in such a way that it can support itself outside of the support system of a mother's womb. And we'll talk more about that next week, but ultimately, none of those things matter, because scientifically, a human being simply is a human being. A human being is whatever has been biologically created from two human beings coming together to reproduce after their own kind. A human is a human. There's no waiting period. There's no holding period. There's no time where this unborn baby is alive, but not human, but then suddenly it becomes human. Scientifically speaking, it just is human. It either is not alive or it is alive and is human. And because of that, there is no ideal time to kill a human being. If we're going to be completely logical and completely fair in how we think about it, there's no time where something is less human and therefore more appropriate to be killed. The only way that we can justify that and rationalize it is if what we do, it, what we talked about at the beginning, where we dehumanize it, we say that logically how we want to think about that thing makes it less human for our own needs so that we are more okay with killing it. But ultimately, no matter what we say, no matter what we feel, science demands that that is a human being, and therefore there is no right time to kill it for our own convenience. Now, that being said, a follow-up to that is that if an embryo, or any stage of development for an unborn child, if that is fully human, as we've discussed, then even things like the morning-after pill need to be very heavily scrutinized. Now, for those who don't know, the morning-after pill is after a woman has sex, and she doesn't want a child to be conceived, she will take what's called the morning after pill or maybe the plan B pill. And what that does is, well, we don't really know. 
there's two schools of thought on what the morning after pill will do. Either it will safely just prevent an egg from being released or attaching to the woman's uterine lining or things like that. Something where it just it stops the egg from functioning before the sperm is able to join to it and have it become a living organism. Now, the other school of thought is that it basically creates a hostile or unviable environment for a living embryo and it kills it. In other words, it is a an early abortion, right? When the the baby has been a human being for a day or so, it basically creates an environment within the uterus where it will just kill that embryo that is again alive. Now, if the first one is true, right? If it just hinders the egg from ever being inseminated, then we can say that, okay, maybe the morning after pill is fine if we can prove that that's the case. However, since last I checked, scientists didn't know how exactly it works. They just had theories. If it does indeed just create an environment that is hostile to an unborn baby surviving, then ultimately what that's doing is that is killing a human being. It may be a day old human being, but it is a full human being nonetheless. And then finally, if all unborn are fully human, then we cannot tell someone to get over a lost pregnancy or an abortion any more than we can tell them to get over losing a five-year-old. And that is something that Christians, for whatever reason, really struggle with. They will see a woman who is in mourning, maybe even years after losing a child. Maybe the child was weeks away from being born. Maybe the child was only weeks into development. But whatever it is, when a woman is, or even even a father, is struggling with the loss of their child, people will say, look, you've mourned long enough. It's time to just get over it. It's time to stop being sad. It's time to stop letting it impact you. And here's the reality. Yes, a woman who has only been pregnant for a week or two weeks is going to be less attached to that child in terms of experiences, right? Because they haven't held their child. They haven't you know, tied their shoes, gotten them dressed, seen them interact with the world and things like that. A, a, a child that is killed or dies in the womb has not had life experience that people can remember it by. However, a parent doesn't just love their child because of what that child did for them. They don't just think fondly of their child simply because they had great experiences or their child was adorable or their child was sweet or smart or whatever. Those things give us more points that we can enjoy and appreciate about a child. But ultimately, a parent loves their child simply because that is their child. And so if a baby is fully human at the moment of conception, then a mother and father whose child dies in the womb or who is killed through abortion, they are mourning the loss of a human being that they loved, that was theirs, that they had created together and that they had a parental bond to. So you know, Christians out there, if you've never experienced the, the loss of a child, do not just see that someone needs to just get over it because you don't see the value that that child played in that person's life. We would, I hope, we would never tell a parent whose child died a week after birth that they need to get over it after three or four years. We would never say that about a parent who lost their child at five years or at 20 years. The loss of a child is a painful thing. I mean, death itself is painful, but the unique bond that a parent shares with their child makes it even more devastating. And so whether a 
a man and woman have lost one child due to whatever, or whether they've lost three or four children in the womb. They have lost children. Full and complete human beings have died. And we need to love them through that. We need to understand that that is going to be a lifelong scar that they're going to carry because that is a child who was theirs that they had created that no longer lives because of the effects of sin and death in this world. Now, as I wrap up this discussion, the big takeaway is simply that scientifically speaking, no matter what labels we want to apply to an unborn child, no matter how we try to dehumanize it, we cannot escape the reality that God has designed his universe to work in a certain way. And part of that functioning is that he has designed the law of biogenesis that dictates that human beings, when they create a living organism, the only thing they can create is a human being. They don't create something that turns into a human being. At the moment of conception, scientifically, it is a human being. So it doesn't matter what scientists say. It doesn't matter how they try to interpret or twist the data. The reality is that the unborn at any stage of development are fully 100% human. And therefore, if we choose to purposely end their life, we are choosing to purposely end the life of a human being, of an image bearer of God. But as I also said in the beginning, this isn't just about feeling superior to people or beating them down or making them feel bad. We need to realize that those who support abortion, whether it's with a heavy heart that they support it or whether it's someone who doesn't care, ultimately, our goal isn't to just argue them into turning over to our side. It is through a biblical worldview that we can fully understand and appreciate what it means to be human. But only those whose sins have been forgiven through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, it is only those who can fully have and understand a biblical worldview. So while you know we can we can argue science back and forth, at the end of the day, what people ultimately need is Jesus Christ, so that they can understand why God has designed his universe in a certain way, in that regardless of how we feel about it, regardless of the direction culture is going, at the end of the day, murdering a human being is murder. So as you think about this episode, as you discuss it with others, just remember that Yes, we want to point people to truth as God has designed it, but we also want to make sure that we're pointing people to what they truly need, and that is Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others. Or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash Onward in the Faith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.